Let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, and we'll see how far we get. I mentioned on Sunday that the Proverbs are Hebrew poetry. Solomon wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, 1,005 songs, the books of Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. He was, according to the scriptures, the wisest man who ever walked this planet besides the Lord himself. There was nobody who had more wisdom before him or more wisdom after him. And I might make mention that he got that wisdom because he saw in himself a weakness and inadequacy as far as um, a governor, a ruler, a king, to step into David's shoes. That was a big big shoes to, to, to jump into. And so um, he prayed. And um, he said, go ahead, Solomon, ask, well, what do you, what, what do you want? And he said, I, just, I need wisdom. I, I need a discerning heart to be able to judge your people. And the prayer pleased the Lord. And he didn't ask for riches or long life for vengeance on his enemies. He just asked for wisdom. And he says, you got it, Solomon. And nobody before you or after you will ever have more wisdom than what you're going to be given. So he is, under the inspiration, of course, of the Holy Spirit, gives us a book on how to live. As we look at chapter 12, the way I like to go through the Proverbs, is read the whole chapter. And um, if the Proverbs is Hebrew poetry, different from our poetry in Uh, there's contrasting thoughts that um, are sort of coupled together. And probably a really good example is the very first verse of chapter 12, where it says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. And now it's contrasted, but he who hates reproof is stupid. (laughs) It gets right to the point, you're stupid. (laughs) Whoever loves instruction, well, that's what we're doing here tonight. We've taken a Wednesday night. A lot of people here, a lot of people watching live stream, and we're here because we, we want to be teachable, we want to be in a place where we don't think we know it all, where, we're, where there's always room for improvement. We sang the song Justified tonight, just as though I've never done anything wrong. Well, when you accept Christ, that's what happens. You're immediately cleansed, you're as white as snow, just as though you've never sinned. But then you enter into this process we call sanctification. Now, sanctification is different than being justified in that it's a work that God does in your life and changes you, the Bible says, from glory to glory into his image. And even Paul, when he was old in life, he says, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't gotten to the place where I want to be. Matter of fact, the wiser he got and the older and closer he got to the Lord, he recognized his uh, sinful nature more than he did when he was saved. He he called himself the chiefest of of sinners. And I believe that's true. I think the closer a person really gets to the Lord, um, we become very aware of our great need and our dependency upon the Lord. It should produce humility. We'll talk about that a little bit farther. And uh, so we're here tonight, verse 1, whoever loves instruction, loves knowledge. We love the Lord, we love his word, and that's why we're here. Well, there's a whole group, um, especially in, we're going to talk about scoffers here in just a little bit, that um, who don't want to hear it, they're not teachable, they're haughty, they're high-minded, they think they know everything, and when they know nothing, the born-again person um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians they had an issue where they had a judgment had to be made and they wanted to take it to, to the worldly court system. And um, Paul said, why would you do that? Here's my advice. Get the youngest born-again believer in the church and talk it through with him. He has the Spirit of God. He's going to have more wisdom because he has the Spirit of God than anybody um, who, who doesn't. So those who... Um, Love instruction, are teachable. Here's a good example of Hebrew poetry with this contrasting thought. Now, as I read through a chapter, what I do is I go back and I underline what is a reoccurring 
thing that's being spoken of in this in chapter 12 here, and I'll get to it, but primarily it's about holding your tongue, not lying, uh, choosing your words carefully. But before we get to that, um, let's read verses 2 to 4. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked devices he will condemn. Again, the contrasting poetry. A man is not established by wickedness, We'll close the study, if we get through 14 tonight, with two examples, one from Luke and Matthew, where the Lord refers to um, just wicked people and in his context. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. And an excellent wife is a crown of her husband. And then it's contrasted with, but she who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. So for those of us that have an excellent wives, we praise the Lord for that, their crown and a blessing. Verse 5, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsel of the wicked are deceitful. So I hope you're seeing the pattern beginning to develop. We have the righteous, we have the wicked. We have the contrasting thoughts that bring about teaching. And um, the first thing we learned is being teachable. And that is, as lambs, you know, we, we come to the Lord. The Lord said, unless, unless you become like a little child, you can't even enter into the kingdom of heaven. And you go, what, what does he mean by that? Well, this childlike faith that kids, kids have, they just said, well, Dad said so. You know, five or six. And there's that natural um, trust that, um, you know, Dad is dead, and what he says, that's, you, you trust and what, your father says, so unless you come to the Lord that way, even with um, doctrines that you don't fully grasp yet or comprehend, I usually, if I get to a spot like that, um, um, I'll put it in the back drawer in my filing cabinet of my brain, and I'll say, waiting for more information. And if I can't find a commentary and I get different viewpoints on a subject, well, then... Uh, we're going to read, I think here tonight, there's safety in a multitude of counsel, just weighing it all through. But even with that, I'm not satisfied with, with some questions that I have, so I'm just waiting on the Lord, and um, I don't stress out over them, and they'll, they'll get answered in, in his, his good time. Now, beginning with six, I began to underline um, uh, the words of the tongue and how uplifting it can be, or how damaging it can be. So in verse 6, the words of the wicked are, lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. So again, the contrast, um, words, they can either build up or they can tear down. You can strengthen a person with your words, or you can shred them with your words, with your tongue. Um, And I'm going to read now through uh, verse 28 and come back and highlight, and I just underlined all the time uh, this thought comes up. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but, there's a contrasting thought, the house of the righteous will, will stand. A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. And, and it's true. Um, um, I was uh, watching the, what is this road show where the guys are going around the country and they're pickers and they ran into this guy and the more they talked to him they were just blown away by all the people that he knew from presidents and maybe you caught this program a couple days ago he's talking about running into Albert Einstein and you didn't know it was Albert Einstein at the time and um, here, here's one of the most brilliant men in the world, and he's uh, having some sort of transaction with him and doesn't realize till later in the day he runs into him again that he, is, <laughs> he was actually talking to Albert Einstein. A man will be commended according to his wisdom. Well, the same day he ran into Oppenheimer. Is that his name? Did I say it correctly? The, the other producer of uh, uh, M equals MC squared and the atomic bomb. And... Um, they're known for their wisdom. 
interesting that that uh, I always look at the top of the the ladder and the best. And um, what did I read in the paper today? Two Jewish men won the debate in uh, in Europe. World debate from all the debaters in the world. These two guys took took first place. And who were they? Two Jews from from Israel. And my point being is that. Um, uh, they have, uh, they're commended, and they're acknowledged, and they're revered. That's what verse 8 is saying. But he who has of a perverse heart will be despised. Better is the one who is slighted out, but has a servant, than he who honors himself, but lacks bread. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the, of the wicked are cruel. Now, I could get really sidetracked here and um, uh, talk about those who are cat lovers and those who are dog lovers. They usually are one or the other, and they usually don't get along. And um, here it just talks about those who um, regard and have a heart for animals. I was on my way to India one time, and we have a Bible college in Austria, and it's an absolutely beautiful place. And it was just an overnight stop, but they asked me to share, and I said, okay, but I, I don't know anybody here, so I want to break the ice. How can, I, how can I get to know the students if I'm only here on a one-night stand and then I'm gone the next day? Tell me something about them so I can break the ice and get to know them a little bit better. And they said, well, the big thing here between the students is some of them love dogs, and some of them love cats, and they're always arguing over lunch. So, are you a cat person or are you a dog person? And back and forth. I said, "That's all I need. That's fine. I'll take it from there." So they didn't know me, and I didn't know them. And I'm introducing myself, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm here. I just Chuck was talking to me about uh, the castle, and he said there's some division that's that's going on here, and he he just asked me if I could would address it. You could have heard a pin drop." And, and when, I, when I said that, because they didn't know who I was. And I, I'm saying I'm here because Chuck wants to, t- to get this division taken care of. And so they, I had their attention. And so then I just stopped for... <clears throat> Silence can be cruel. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm just waiting for the, the hook sort of to settle in. And then I said, okay, I'll just come out with it. I love dogs. And it took a while for it to set in, and they didn't know what, what, oh, I get it. He's, he's, trying, he's pulling one on us right now. Well, what it did is it broke, broke the ice, and they were open for the Bible study for the rest of the night. Actually, I like dogs and cats, so I could have, I could have played both sides of the fence with that one. The Proverbs tell us that, um, you know, Adam gave name to all the animals. He called them what he wanted to. I think one of the coolest things that's going to happen is during the millennium that the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. Little kids are going to play by the cobra uh, den. And uh, uh, the animal kingdom, uh, that animosity, that fear that's there is gone. And for a thousand years, uh, there's going to be that tranquility uh, in the animal kingdom where they're not afraid of, uh, of us. All right, a righteous man regards the life of his animal. Verse 11, he who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows uh, ferality is devoid of understanding. Now we're just talking about being a good, hard hard worker. And um, I see Jim Bodeway sitting over there. Jim and I, he fixed my chair the other day for me. And uh, we actually got sidetracked talking about this, that our society today doesn't understand the work ethic. He's used to, as, as a farmer, getting up, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning and, and having all, a lot of things done already by 5 or 6. And, and um, our, our society today is all about, um, who was I talking to? I took their boy and uh, was camping. can't think who it is. It's terrible when you have those senior moments. But he was texting while they were supposed to be camping, and he's going, we're, te- we're supposed to be, ha- this is father-son time, and he's trying to get the idea across, put the thing away, you know, so this, is, this is our time together. And this whole 
um, idea of, of um, what Solomon is getting at here is a work ethic. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, being a hard worker. But if you're a slough-off, you're, you're not getting it. You're devoid of understanding. Uh, the wicked covet the catch of an, an evil man, but the root of righteousness yields fruit. The wicked is ensnared by, okay, and here we go, by the transgression of his lips, uh, getting caught in a lie. I'll tell in a story here in just a bit. But the righteous will come through trouble. And if you tell a lie, you get tripped up, you get caught in it. That's what's being made reference to. A man will stumble with good by the fruit of his mouth. And the recompense of a man's hand will be rendered to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. It's always good just to bounce things off of people if you're not sure about something. It says there is safety in a multitude of counsel. But the verse before it, uh, this is a know-it-all. Everybody here knows somebody who knows somebody that thinks they know it all. And uh, whatever they think, they're right in their own eyes. But that's not wise. Because no matter who you are, myself included, and everybody here and everybody listening, we all have blind spots. Somebody want to say amen to that? We all have blind spots. And if you're wise, what I don't go for is this. The Lord told me to tell you, if, if you ever get one of those, and everybody has, I usually say, well, as soon as the Lord shows me that, then I'll know I have a confirmation. But I know the Lord, and if he wants to talk to me about something, he, he, he can do it. So be careful about those people who, quote, unquote, have these words of the Lord just for you <laughs> at a given moment. The Lord is able to talk to you about it. Now, if the Lord's already been showing you that very thing, and that person comes up to you and says something, you go, Lord, you got my attention. Now it's in the witness of two or three, and it's being established. So I'm all ears. So a wise man will do that. Uh, a know-it-all is he's just right in his own eyes. All right, back to talking. He who speaks truth declares righteousness. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's about as truthful as it can possibly be. It's extremely narrow. Um, uh, it is very, very narrow because he, he's declaring that there is no other way that a person can go to heaven. That's the truth. But a false witness, four times in Matthew 24, Jesus says, look out for the false witnesses. Look out for the false prophets. They're going to be abounding big time in the, in the last days. Uh, there is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Uh, the truthful lip, and what I did when I went through this, I just underlined every time it referred to either the tongue, the lip, speaks, the truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Again, the contrast. And deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, uh, but counselors of peace have joy. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked will be filled with evil. All right, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. You have, there's no defense that you can have against a lie. And it's one of the things that I'm going to take you to in just a bit here. Um, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Let's finish a chapter, and I'm going to come back to verses 19 and 22. A prudent man conceals knowledge. In other words, he doesn't walk around like he knows it all. And... Um, um, he's, he, he, he guards his words. Um, Chuck was a master at this. He was very slow in his presentation. He's famous for his pauses between sentences. And um, I just, uh, there, there's just so much to the man. And um, it, it came out in not only an observation in what he said, but also in just watching him from a distance. We like to say we learn more, we caught more than what we were taught just by watching how he did things. 
Chuck would be the guy out picking up the cigarette butts uh, in the parking lot or just doing the odd jobs that you think somebody else should be doing. That wasn't beneath Chuck and shouldn't be beneath me or beneath anybody um, to be a servant and just do what needs to get done. Verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slothful will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Again, you can build up and um, you can tear down with words. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to chapter 13 in fellowship. And uh, our associations, our friendships, you can know a person by who they hang with and who their friends are. The slothful man does not roast what he took in hunting, but um, diligent man is man's precious possession. And in the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway there is no death. Let's go back to, um, I want to look at 19 and 22. 19 says, a truthful lip will establish forever, contrasted with somebody who's lying, a lying tongue. And then down in verse 22, it says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Um, Colossians 3 verse 9 says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now Sunday we're going to be um, baptizing people, and basically what they're saying is they're casting off their old ways symbolically. They're going down the water, and uh, by saying so, I'm dying to the old man and I'm coming forth. Old things pass away. All things are becoming new. I'm born again. I'm a new person in Christ. And if being a habitual liar was a part of your past life, then as a believer, that's got to go. When you're asked a straight question, you you can't lie about it or or tell a a half-truth. Al Al bought us some Chinese food today, and we were eating it, and you know, when Chinese food, you always get a fortune cookie. And I was studying, and uh, my fortune cookie... um, had a fortune inside of it, and it says, never forget that a half-truth is, is a whole lie. And I thought, I've got to use that in a study tonight. I'm going to work it in somewhere. <laughs> but it's such a serious offense. In Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and then it says, and all liars. That's the last one, shall have their part in lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Why lying? When you get right down to it, the very first sin, or the very first statements out of Lucifer's mouth was a lie. In John 8, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you guys are of your father the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. Well, what was the lie? Well, the Lord says, the day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And Lucifer says to Eve, you shall not surely die. Well, that was a lie. And she bought it. It looked good. It was give her knowledge. And she thought, why not? She was tempted. She ate. And um, she was deceived. But here we have the, the very first thing coming out of Lucifer's mouth was a lie. Now, if somebody lies about you, what are you going to do? You can say, uh-uh, it ain't true. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You can say a lot of different things. But how can you defend yourself against it? And um, what's interesting, it, it, it brought back to uh, an event that happened to me. This goes back to the 80s. And um, we had a guy living at our house. And... and um, I never was really quite sure about him. He was, a, he was a young Christian, and he had some amazing stories. He was always telling stories. And what happened one particular night, he was coming in from New London, and um, I was living in the parsonage behind the little white church. And he got dropped off. He was hitchhiking. And um, it was the same evening that um, Michelle Coy 
was murdered. Now, if you're older in this community, everybody knows, has heard of this case because it went unsolved for a while. But the night that Michelle Coy was murdered is the same night that this uh, guy that was staying at my house was dropped off, and um, the murder actually took place several blocks down from where I lived, and it happened to be the first house in off of, off of Richmond Street. So when the story broke, they had a suspect uh, in the beginning, but they had to let him go because it didn't work out. And it kept being on the news, if you remember. I mean, you've got to go back quite a ways back to the 80s to remember this. But the guy who was doing the driving that picked up the guy who was living with me he went down and he says, you know, the night of that murder, I actually dropped a guy off at that house. He got my house confused with the house that Michelle Coy was actually killed in. She was a brutal murder stab many, many times. She's only 20 years old. And um, so all of a sudden, he gives a, one of these sketches to, to um, the police department. So now... It's on, they're putting this picture up on, on, the, on the news, uh, Channel 2 News or 11, whatever it was. And um, they say, we believe this is a suspect that we're looking for in the murder of Michelle Coy. And I look up at this picture, and it is spot on with the guy that's living with me. Well, that freaked me out. And he had this duffel bag, and he was always telling these stories that I wonder if they were true or if they're not true. So I went up to his room when he wasn't there, and he had this army duffel bag, and I pulled out a machete, and I thought, oh my goodness, here's the murder weapon. That's, and I actually thought that, and that was the guy, and, um, and uh, he, they explained the story about the, the drop-off and the whole thing and the house. So I, I go down to the Appleton Police Department, and I said, the guy that you're looking for? And they said, yes, sir. Well, he's living at my house. And within 20 minutes, I had 10 police cars at my house, and he was taken away in handcuffs. Now, all that to get to my point in my illustration with my story here, uh, he is a dead ringer and was identified as the guy that was dropped off that night. And so they got their man as far as they're concerned. And um, so what I had to do is call his family and let him know that their son has been charged with murder and he's in jail. And I began to go, well, you, you know, when he, when, he, when he lived here, and they go, wait, he never lived there. Well, well, when he had this job, well, he never had that job. And the more I went on and the more I talked and the more questions I asked, I found out this guy probably hadn't told me one truth for as long as he was living in my house. We went and did a little research today, and this is what happened. And my point is, if you're a Christian, and I believe he was saved and he was in the sanctification process, but his past life was being a habitual liar. He just lied about everything. <laughs> and now, my point is going to be that if you think you can walk with the Lord and continue in your sin, you're gonna get busted. And the Lord will go to some very lengthy extremes to put you in a corner to get you to be broken so that you will change. All right, so what happened is, um, I'll, I'll read this. this. We found this. This goes back to the 80s. Um, authorities said a 25-year-old man was taken into custody Friday for questioning about murder, arson, and burglary. Uh, a police statement stated further details would be available Monday. And then they go on to say Police Chief David Gorski said two years ago that, investiga that investigators thought they knew the identity of the attacker. Now, that is a person who was staying with me. You see, he was innocent. He di really didn't do it. And they did an undercover sting with the guy that they originally thought did it who came out and openly confessed provided the evidence, and they have the murder. I had his name earlier, but it wasn't the guy that was living in my house. So I get to go up to the jail. I call him by name, and as we're talking, um, they, 
I tell him, well, you're innocent. And he says, I know I've been trying to tell you that. And I, his name's Jim. And I says, yeah, but Jim, everything else you've told me have been, has been a lie. And you know what I think? I think the Lord let this happen to bring you to a place where you'd finally figure out that you can't be a habitual liar and still call yourself a Christian. So you want to say amen? But that's a true story. And I, all that and everything that the guy went through, and um, he, he was up for a murder charge, and he was innocent. He, he was not the guy. He was dropped off at my house that night, and um, I, I told that the, to, the, to the officers all at that time, and eventually they got it all sorted out. So my point, um, the Lord is serious about telling the truth and being honest with it. All right, let's go on to chapter 13. Um, actually, the first four or five verses here are going to continue with the same thought about the tongue. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. We're talking about biting our tongue here, being uh, quick to hear and slow to speak. But he who opens wide his lips shall have uh, destruction. Um, Down to verse 5, the soul of a sluggard desires and has nothing, again being lazy, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. You know, the Bible says if you don't provide for your own family, you know, that's worse than the heathen. And so Paul says if you don't work, you don't eat. It's that simple. A righteous man hates lies. Oh, and here it comes up again. So the reoccurring thought all the way from chapter 12 to chapter 13, verse 5, really has to do with, um, with the, the lips and the mouth and with lying. All right, now we're going to pick it up in verse 6 and through 25, and I'm going to sort of zero in on um, um, the danger of being full of pride. Uh, Righteousness keeps him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. Now there is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. And the light of the righteous rejoice but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Verse 10, I want this one to set in. By pride only comes contention. Now, just think about that for a second. If you, if you get into it and you have words with somebody and there's contention, the Bible's teaching on this is it only comes because of your pride. Only by pride comes contention. And it's the I'm right type attitude. Uh, But with the well advised, there is wisdom. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. And hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's the tree of life. Having your heart set on something, oh, you look forward to it for so long. And uh, then it doesn't happen. That's hope deferred. You were looking for it. You wanted it to happen. It doesn't happen. And you're heartsick over it. But when the desire comes, well, then it's a tree of life. And he who despises the word will be destroyed. But he who fears the commandments will be rewarded. Now, I take this literally as being, being the scriptures. And um, the importance of the inerrancy of Scripture, meaning that from Genesis to Revelation, it's the Word of God. It can be used for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness, for correction, for reproof. It's a powerful authority that we have. And you got one or two sides of this. You can either honor it or despise it. You can either love it or abhor it. And, um, but it's the word that, that uh, and teaching it, it chapter by chapter and verse by verse is the safety valve 
of establishing and, and sort of building your, your spiritual life as you make your way through the scriptures. It, it brings just soundness into a person's life. The law of the wise is a fountain of life. I want to make sure I'm on my right book. Okay, yep. Okay. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Now that's true. Um, sin is hard. Walk away from the Lord for a while and um, live in the world for a while and you'll find how hard things really can get, especially if you've known the truth. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Again, a guy that you can talk to about his blind spot, and he's actually open enough to talk about it and acknowledge it, and um, is, is grateful enough to um, uh, thank the scriptures or whoever, whatever instrument the Lord is using. Verse 19, a desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination of fools to depart from evil. Now he who walks with my wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. All right, I'm just going to stop here, and uh, we'll take a little a side tri- uh, trip. I want to go back to verse 10 just for a second. Only by pride comes contention, and with the well-advised is, is wisdom. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of uh, John, uh, chapter 3. John chapter 3. The wisest man who ever lived was Solomon. The humblest man who ever lived was Moses. And the greatest man who ever lived was John the Baptist. Now, if you're the greatest man who ever lived, you could carry with that a lot of pride. But in John chapter 3, we have three musts as you read through the chapter. There are three musts in John chapter 3, and I'm going to just go through them quickly. The first one is Jesus' words to Nicodemus, where he says in verse 7, Nicodemus, um, you must be born again. He came to him by night. He didn't want anybody to know he was there. And he wanted to know about the Lord. And um, he told him he must be born again. Nick didn't get it. And he says, don't marvel about this, Nicodemus. That, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. You must be born again. All right, that's the first one. The second one is down in verse um, 16, 14. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So here's the second must in John chapter 3. Now, he's talking to a Pharisee who would have known the story from Numbers extremely well. The children of Israel had sinned. They were always having a pity party, always blaming Moses for their problems. Where's the food? Where's the water? And they wouldn't back off. And finally, Moses falls on his face and said, what am I going to do these people? The Lord allowed serpents to come into the camp, bite the people, and they were starting to die. And then they realized that they had blown it in their complaining, and they come running to Moses and said, Moses, would you pray for us? And uh, the Lord says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a pole and I want you to put a bronze serpent on the pole. Put it right in the middle of the camp. And then tell the people that have been bitten, all you have to do is go look at that bronze serpent on the pole, and everything will be fine. And if uh, that was told to, uh, let's say, a 1,000 people, 
10,000 people, however many were involved with this sin. Part of the captain said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Go look at something, and I'm, I'm dying here. I got snake bit, for Pete's sake. And that's, that's going to save me? And others said, well, it's the word of God. That's what he said to do, so what do we got to lose? We're going to die anyway. So those that went and looked lived, and those that blew it off and said, forget about it. That's stupid. They died. And he's telling this story and saying, remember that? Later on, that became a form of, of uh, idol worship during Hezekiah's time. It was still around. They had taken that symbol, and now they were, they were worshiping it. And Hezekiah says, Nahushtan, it's a thing of brass. And he had it ground up and thrown away. He says, you guys are, are missing the forest for the trees here. That's not the Lord. It was an instrument that the Lord used. All right, that's the second must. And he's showing Nicodemus what must happen. Just like that serpent, which is a symbol of what? Sin. And um, bronze is a symbol of judgment. God was making a statement. Sin is being judged. And Nick got it. And then the next verse, of course, is the one we all know. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he's explaining to Nicodemus that he must be lifted up in the same way that the serpent was lifted up in the Old Testament because sin was placed on Jesus as the symbolism was in the Old Testament. Their complaining and murmuring was judged and there, were, there was healing for those who believed it. All right, there's one more must and that is spoken by John the Baptist himself and... Um, Oh, let's be find it really quick, because I didn't get, I didn't write it down. I was just doing this by memory. Which one is it? Thirty. There, here he is. All right, here's the greatest man in the world. Only through pride comes contention, right? Now Jesus said, among those born among women, there's never been a greater than John the Baptist. Well, he could have made, he could have wrote a lot of books about that, and and could have been really proud about it, but instead. Um, we have the third must. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And here's the, here's the whole thing, gang, and, and the point that we're going through with pride tonight. That's where we're at in the Christian life. It's not becoming a, a, a famous Christian musician or a famous Christian pastor or a famous Christian anything, no matter what your per, profession. The fact is you must decrease if people are going to see Jesus in you. Somebody want to say amen to that? And so here we have the Proverbs telling us and warning us, only through pride comes contention. And um, here the greatest man who ever lived, I mean, his only job in life, he had no miracles. The greatest man who ever lived had no miracles, no miracles, none at all. And uh, he had one job. And when he was preaching, they said, the Messiah's here. He says, no, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then Elijah's here. No, I'm not Elijah either. Well, who are you? I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm just a forerunner, and I'm here for one reason, and when he comes, I'll point him out. And he was told when the Holy Spirit falls down, it'll look like a dove. John, that's when you'll know. That's when you'll point him out. That day came, the day Jesus was baptized, And he says, there he is. There's a lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And all of a sudden, John is telling his disciples, no more hanging out with me, boys. You follow him now. And John, greatest man who ever lived, got himself in a lot of trouble because Herod was sleeping around and he pointed it out. So Herod had him thrown in in prison. And it's during this time that the greatest man who ever lived had doubts. What? His whole job was to say that Jesus is Messiah. Now he sends his disciples to ask Jesus directly, are you really the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And you gotta say, John, say it ain't so. You're the greatest man who ever lived. And you're doubting? He says, go tell John this. And he gives him scripture. He says, Tell them that the lame are walking, 
Tell them that the blind are seeing. Tell them that the, the poor are having the good news presented to them. That was the message. And I can almost see the guys walking away and the, and the Lord kind of hesitating. Say, wait, one more thing. Tell them this too. Tell them, and blessed is everyone who's not offended by me. That would have been a zinger, not maybe to you or me, but it was a zinger to John, and I'll tell you why. Here was a guy who grew up in the desert, long hair, uh, ate locusts and honey, um, and uh, austere lifestyle, rigid and righteous to the core. And here was Jesus hanging out with people of unquestionable character, hanging out with them, tax collectors, uh, eating and dining with sinners, and so on and so forth. You know what John was doubting, where the doubt was? I lived the right life. He didn't. Maybe he's not the right guy. And so what does the Lord say? When you study the Gospel of John, without exception, the person that he's dealing with, he always reveals something about that person that only they know. The woman at the well, um, the woman caught in the act of adultery, Nicodemus. Oh, I know why you're here, Nicodemus. You came at night, let me tell you. Without exception. And it's also true with John the Baptist. What was really eating John was that he was actually having doubts and he was really offended. And so with that, I think John the Baptist went to the Lord with, with, with a lot of peace. Well, I spent a lot of time on one verse, but my point is with this is the necessity of you and I, no matter what position, how many letters you got behind your degrees, they mean nothing. Um, that you, in a Christian life, it's, it's learning uh, to take on the role of a servant and take on the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in our Lord. Good time to say amen. Amen. And taking on that life. All right, let's get back to um, um, our, our Proverbs 13. We left off at verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companions of fools will be destroyed. People are known by who they hang out with. You guys are in Calvary Chapel of Appleton on Wednesday night study. You probably know most of the people here. You probably know them well. And you have your circle of people that you have here, but then you probably have your circle of friends at work and so on and so forth. Um, but the importance of fellowship is something I want to just touch on tonight. Two places in the New Testament. Turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 is the first one, so let's go there first. It's before Hebrews. Acts 2, we read that when the Lord went to the synagogue, it said, as was his custom. In other words, the Lord growing up, it was his custom to be in the synagogue on a regular basis. It was his pattern of life. It was his lifestyle. And in, in Acts 2, verse 42, they, we have all these new believers, about 3,000 of them. And uh, the first thing that they realized is that they needed as new believers is they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So Bible study was right up there at the top of things to do, and fellowship. Being with other believers, there's just something about it that wherever two or three are gathered, the Lord says, I'm there. But you need the the two, the Lord's always with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. But there's something special about when we come here, when we worship, when we're in the word, all of a sudden, true north, is you can just see it again. It's clear. Oh, yeah, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm serving the Lord. And we are reminded by that, and it says, and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. And verse 46, so continuing daily. The daily part gets into your own personal devotional life. And I don't know how much time you give the Lord in the morning, but give him some, even if it means you have to get up a little bit early. Early will... I rise to seek you, David said in the psalm. Early will I call upon your name. And um, 
It's this acknowledgement where Paul says, I have to die daily. Nobody wakes up in the spirit. You know that? It's true. Especially before you have your cup of coffee, right? (laughs) I hate getting older. My mom told me, you just wait. The day's going to come, and you're not going to be able to drink coffee anymore. And I said, well, when that day comes, I'm still going to drink coffee. Well, I'm stubborn, and I'm paying for it. I told Judy this morning, I'm not going to have coffee for yesterday, and I got up, and I had it anyway, and I got an upset stomach anyway, and uh, mom and dad, when they were getting older, their, 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 uh, their coffee looked like lemonade. That's all I can say. It didn't look like coffee, and it tasted terrible, and so right now, I am in a full-on battle on wanting a good cup of coffee and understanding the consequences that my mother warned me about and said, you're a Doval and a Crandall and you're not going to get away with it because it's in your genes. And now she's right, and I have to con- concede to it. So it's a morning thing, and they did this with gladness and simplicity of heart and praising God, and just by doing this, this lifestyle, something wonderful happens. The Lord will work in your life, and he will create divine appointments. All you have to do is say, I'm in this for the long haul. We sang this song tonight. He who began a good work in you, right? He's going to complete it. He started it, and he'll complete it. Now, on Sunday, we're going to get sidetracked and talk about, well, what about if I'm backslidden? Are people eternally secure, or can you get out of the boat? And that's where we're going on on Sunday, so we'll be talking about that on Sunday. But here... If you want to know a simple way just to not worry about it, this is doable. And this here, if you continue in this in fellowship, it says exhort one another daily while it's called today. I need to be exhorted. You need to be exhorted. And so when we're exhorted, again, it it keeps us uh, just minding our P's and Q's with the Lord. And the great part about this is, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. As the church was getting together, worshiping, studying the word, fellowshipping, um, it's just wonderful. And uh, you get away from it for a little while and you forget just how sweet it really is to, to be in fellowship with people that are like-minded. All right, let me take it a step further and take you to Hebrews chapter 10, where it's not a suggestion anymore, but I believe the writer is Paul here. Especially, gang, in the days that we're living. Fellowship is going to be vital. As we see apostasy coming into the church, we see the gospel being watered down, we see false teachings creep in everywhere. Pick it up in verse 23 of chapter 10. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. Wavering is not being wishy-washy. The Bible says be careful that you're not tossed to and fro by every doctrine that, that floats through, through uh, town. But uh, get grounded in God's word. Know what you believe and why you believe it. And then it says let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Jesus said we're to love our neighbor as what? As we love ourselves. See, the problem isn't that you need uh, to have uh, self Help love books, because believe me, you are in love with yourself. That's common. You're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So let us consider one another. That's taking us outside of putting me first. uh, In order to stir up love and good works, and then this verse here, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's what we're doing right here tonight. It's a part of our weekly schedule. Notice, as the manner of some is. So we have those out there who are true believers, but they think they can pull it off on on their own. I call them lone rangers. And they're just out there all by themselves, trying to be the good guy. They got the silver bullet, they think. But you can't do it without the body. This is what 1 Corinthians 14 is trying to get across when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. And without exception, every one of the gifts, except for the gift of tongues, is given to you so that you'll use that gift 
to build up somebody other than yourself. One exception, the gift of tongues, 1 Corinthians 14.4, that gift is for self-edification. And with the times that we live in, you know, we have great Christian music and Christian radio. There's other things you can listen to to build you up. But if the Holy Spirit has given you a gift, uh, chapter 14, verse 12 says, let it be for the edification of the church. So if you need to have your gift stirred up, use it. Whatever it is that the Lord has given to you, just use it. And then it takes it a step farther, but exhort one another and even do it that much more as you see the day approaching. Question, do you guys see the day approaching? Have you checked out your news bites tonight? I mean, just go through them before you go home. I talked to Elijah Abraham for an hour on the phone yesterday. I was having my oil changed, and I had an hour to kill. So I knew it was a good time to talk to him. And so we're trying to decide what to um, what his topic is going to be and how many times he's going to speak and that sort of thing. But we fellowshiped for half an hour before we got into any of that stuff. And I said, well, did you hear about uh, 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 Solomon, Sol- Solomon uh, the uh, Iranian general sitting down with Putin? He knew all about it. And I said, well, did you hear about the... Um, $150 billion deal, he knew all about it. And um, he's so much on the cutting edge, I can't wait for him to come. I'm, I can't, I'm not even going to tease you with his, with, with his presentation, I'm just going to make you think about it for a while. But um, um, talking about the signs of the times and uh, the day approaching, what this is basically saying is don't forget the importance of fellowship, as a matter of some is, but exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so this is actually a warning, um, and I just, I'm going to leave it with that because I'm at, at my time, and we're just going to get through this chapter, so let's just go back and finish up 13 here. Evil pursues sinners, it's always there, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and the lack of justice there is waste. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And as we, I'll come back to that and read this last last verse here. I think it's the last one. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> the righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. Um, I, I take that spiritually. The righteous eat to the satisfying of the soul, not to su- the stomach. You know, the, really the only thing that satisfies is having a well-cooked meal. And spiritually speaking, there's no other well-cooked meal than sitting down and just going through a Bible study chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And when you do that, you can leave satisfied, content, and... Um, It satisfies the soul. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from from the Lord. We have problems today. Ferguson could have another night of turmoil. A lot of young people out of control because they were never disciplined by mom and dad when they were growing up. I'm just telling it like it is. And um, if they would have been brought up in a home where there was discipline and discipline was implemented. I still lived in a day when spankings were allowed. And um, some of you are good for you. You're giving spankings behind closed doors. (laughs) And I commend you. You Correct your children. I I think probably there's there's a more threatening punishment than spanking. It's taken away one of these things. (laughs) You take this away for a while and you'll you'll get their attention really quickly. This will hurt them a whole lot more. But um, interesting that the Bible still talks about the importance of training a child in the way to go. What's the very first words out of a child's mouth? Number one, what is it? No, and everybody said it because everybody knows what it is. We're born in sin, and it's proof. You know, self-centeredness. There's no, no, nothing, no creature on the planet is more self-centered than a young child. And he'll let you know about it. They don't care if you're in, in a grocery store. If you want something, they're going to let you know about it. 
I want it. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I've been in grocery stores. I've, I've watched parents do it the right way. And I've watched parents do it the wrong way. Here's two right ways of doing it, dealing with it right on the spot and going to get a crack at the bottom right there. Or you get that look like you just wait till you get in the car. That one of those kind of looks. And then there's a whole other range of it where the parent and the kid's going berserk and not knocking over displays and mom could care less. They're just off doing their own thing and there's absolutely no discipline um, in there whatsoever. So 12 and 13, why in the world I thought we were going to make it through 14, I have no idea. But it was, I think it was a good thought anyway, right? We'll get there next week. We're at our time. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, your word tells us, therefore, let as many of us that are mature, that have this mind, and if any others think elsewise, God will, will show us. Lord, we want this mind that you have. We want to be teachable. We want to be pliable. And most important, Lord, we see the importance of studying your word and being in fellowship. And so, Lord, this evening as we go, we thank you for the lessons on the tongue, the dangers of not being forthright with uh, telling half-truths and making sure that we're speaking correctly so that, Lord, when we talk about the gospel and who you are, that we will have credibility and people will trust us when we speak to them about who you are. So I do pray for your people tonight. We just thank you so much for the scriptures that really do give us soundness of mind and stability. And we do not take for granted, Lord, our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So bless our fellowship as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.